It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Amen. Praise the Lord, Jesus Christ. He is our living hope. Amen. Amen. doesn't matter what else is going on in the world. We know the foundation upon which we stand. Amen. It's a solid rock. It's a firm foundation. And nothing can shake our faith. For Jesus Christ, you notice he's not dead. He's our living hope. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's a li- You know, we're the Easter people. You know that. The resurrection people, right? So you can shout hallelujah any Sunday you want. You don't have to wait till Easter. Yeah. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be back. Man, it's good to be with you. And thank you for, uh, thank you for all your words of kindness. Um, and uh, some of you have just gone overboard. Uh, just Lynn and I really appreciate uh, your expressions of appreciation and love for us. Um, we love you right back at you. Let's just say it that way, right back at you. We've missed you so much. And uh, it's sure good to be back today. Um, thank you for your appreciation to your pastors. You got a great staff. I was with them this last Tuesday and uh, spent some time with them. And they're a lot of fun to be with. Uh, what a great group of dedicated pastors and workers you have um, in the church. They're a blessing to you as well as they have been to myself and to Linda. Um, and uh, your cards, your letters of appreciation, they don't go un- unnoticed. In fact, I, I, I'd venture to say that you might be a pastor in Idaho as, if what you get for pastor's appreciation is some good ammo. That's a, that, that was a pretty good thing. So thank you all for, you know, you're, you're remembering us. But uh, um, This Tuesday night, our church board meets. And, you know, the, the search for our, our, pa- our new pastor continues on. Uh, Reverend Scott's going to be meeting with your church board, as you heard last week, uh, on the 28th of this month, bringing some more names. And so we just keep moving forward, right? Amen? You are the church, not your pastor. You're the church. So we just keep going forward and trusting the Lord and knowing that Jesus has got this. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, I, I want this morning to... Um, uh, well, someone, someone mentioned to me this morning, well, a brand new person, uh, to be relevant. Uh, they asked that I be relevant. And I said, well, I think we'll be relevant this morning. Seems to me that uh, what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is, is some of what we've been experiencing in our world um, the last number of weeks. Do you remember the last two Sundays I was with you and I preached? The last Sunday was October 1st. And the last two Sundays, for some reason, we shared together um, some thoughts about the last days, eschatology, you might say. We, we talked about what, what the last days might look like. We talked about the rapture, and we talked about these. I, I, I created these two bookends, the rapture and the second coming of Christ, and we put a lot of stuff in between there. And I, I, and I venture to make a couple statements that, well, number one is that the rapture could happen any time. Jesus Christ could come back at any time. 
In fact, I think I remember one of the last things that happened my second, my, my, my last Sunday was I said, uh, we'll see you next week. Well, maybe, maybe not. And someone else said, well, we may not see you either, Pastor, because we might be raptured. So, you know, we have having some fun with that. I also made this statement, and I want to make it again this morning. I believe that uh, we, we live in a day that is um, in alignment and postured in such a way that we have never been aligned or postured in this fashion in the entire history of the world for the second coming of Christ. Nothing else needs to happen before Christ comes back. You understand that. Before the rapture occurs. It could happen like that in any moment. In any moment. It could happen before this service is over. And so, but, but I believe that, that we have never been in a time, in, there's never been a time in history when our world has been more in alignment with the coming of Christ and what the Bible teaches about the last days. Now, I find that interesting. That was October 1st when Lynn and I were last with you. Uh, we hopped on a plane the next, uh, that, that evening, and we, we flew to Quebec. And when we woke in the morning, we woke like you did to the world's news. You remember it, October, Sunday, October 8th. We woke to the world's news that Israel had been under attack. And within hours, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he was on national television and he made the announcement that Israel now was at war. Do you remember that? You've all seen that? And, and I still remember where Linda and I were and, and, and just thinking, my land, this is absolutely in, incredible. And, and much of our world was glued, has been glued to the TV. We've, we've been in shock. Um, our world's been turned upside down a little bit as we watched uh, women and children young people and old, um, literally slaughtered. Now, now, do me a favor. Don't go political on me. I want to go biblical. Let's forget the politics. They really don't matter. At least not for our own purposes. But we watched uh, people captured. We watched young women drugged by the hair. Old people thrown on motorcycles, 85 years of age. We, we watch blood flow, women raped, children beheaded. This is a shocking thing to us, for anyone, for any reason. We watched houses and cars burned to the, to the ground. We watched young people who were simply having a good time at a concert slaughtered. All the while, we saw those who were doing it, videotaping and celebrating the death and the slaughter of unsuspecting, innocent people. And we have to ask the question, what is going on? This is the 21st century. I thought we were all civilized. I thought we could deal with our differences in, by sitting down with one another and intellectually talking about what's our differences and Coming to a win-win situation. Anybody remember Rodney King? I love Rodney King's statement. Can't we all just get along? (laughs) How should we feel 
I mean, as the church, as the church of Jesus Christ, the redeemed, the born again, the saved and sanctified, the ones who are called to carry the gospel of love, the message that Jesus died on the cross for all men, how should we respond? Who should we listen to? There's a lot of voices out there. Uh, let me ask you a question. Am I being relevant this morning? Okay, good. Because I, I, to be honest with you, maybe a little disclaimer um, in all this would be, I would venture to say that many churches, many pastors will not talk about these issues publicly, if not most. Uh, most, most pastors that I know will shy away from controversial issues because they know if they step in it, they're going to hear about it. Uh, the emails will come, the letters will come, and the, uh, we live in a, a, a day and age in which, well, none of us want more conflict, and so most pastors will often stay clear of controversial topics because they know when they create the problem, they're going to have to be the ones that fix the mess. You know what I mean? <laughs> Lynn and I, we love going to different churches um, when we're on vacation, and, uh, and we couldn't find a Nazarene church one Sunday. We went to a Calvary Chapel church. Uh, but all the rest were Nazarene. Uh, last Sunday, we listened to a pastor, a young pastor, uh, who preached on the hot mess. And he's talking about all the hot messes of life. Had nothing to do with this topic. But, but I'll tell you what, I, I've created my own hot messes enough as a pastor. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, this morning, I've, I've, I've only been back one Sunday, and I've messed up the whole order of service. <laughs> and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm fearful I may not be asked back. So I've already offended some, probably. Uh, unintentionally, I get in trouble. Uh, in fact, I, if you were here the last two Sundays I was here, I kind of got in trouble for talking about cats. Because I made the statement. I mean, it was right there in the scripture. I just said, there's not going to be any cats in heaven. My land, I created a firestorm, my own mess. Started getting emails and comments and in staff. Pastor, I got a bone to pick with you about cats. <laughs> You're telling me I, my Toby won't be in heaven? I don't even want to go to heaven if my dog's not going with me. I never said anything at all about dogs. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but you know, cats were not supposed to be on the ark. It was an accident. <laughs> and, there, and there was only one of them. And we all know it was a female, so that expl- you do the math. Cats everywhere now. They weren't supposed to be on the ark. Hey, hey did I, did, have I told you this one yet about the two dogs and the cat that, that all died at the same time and they went to heaven to stand in front of the pretty gates? Did I tell you that one yet? I don't remember telling you this. Uh, yeah, these two dogs and the cat were... Standing pretty, pretty gates, Jesus was on duty that day. He looks at the first dog. He says, "Why should I let you into my heaven?" The dog says, "Well, you know, I'm a German Shepherd. I'm I'm quite a I'm a natural born leader. I could help you get everything organized." Jesus and Jesus said, "Well, come in, sit on my right side." He looked at the other dog. He said, uh, "Why should I let you into my heaven?" He said, "Well, you know, I'm a golden retriever, as you as you can see. Everybody loves me. I'm I'm a I'm a pretty good PR guy. I could straighten out things. People that are unhappy up here, I could take care of that for you, Jesus. Oh, come on in, sit on my left. He looked at the cat. 
Honey, you can discipline me after church today. You could just... <laughs> Jesus looked at the cat and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, the cat looks at the dogs. He looks at Jesus and he says, you're sitting in my chair. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I create my own messes, that's for sure. Um, You know, next week, here's what I'm thinking next week, just a teaser. Um, I'm thinking about going back and asking the question, how did all this start? This conflict in the Middle East, how did it all start? Because some people don't realize I mean, America's what, 200, barely 200, a little over 200 years old. Our appreciation for history, I mean, we got a great history, but my land, we're talking about people that their, their history goes back thousands of years, and ours only are 200 years. We're like a babe. We're still green behind the ears in terms of a nation. And you got to ask the question, this thing has gone on for a long time. For hundreds and thousands of years, there's been conflict. Where did this begin? How did it start? Now, if you want a little teaser, uh, go home and read uh, Genesis. Uh, start at 15. You start at 15, and if you want to start at 12, where God calls Abraham, go ahead and do that. But start at 15, and you'll begin to see the birth of two boys, chapter 15 and chapter 21. Uh, one's called uh, Isaac, and the other's called Ishmael. Two brothers from the same, from a different mother. That's what they are. And, and I think I want to go there next Sunday. Because it's important we have a good context and a good understanding as Christians in the 21st century of what we're experiencing today. Amen? And if you don't understand it, you don't know, biblically, if you don't understand it, you don't know how to respond to it. And you're caught up in all the hoopla and the political jargon and the tit for tat and the battering and everything you get caught up in the world's perception instead of God's perception so I think I want to go there next week and just play with that for a little bit and talk about it maybe not even from a westernized protestant slash evangelical scientific logical I think I want to talk about it a little bit from a Jewish perspective how do the Jews understand what's going on today in Israel? And it'll give us a, 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 maybe a, a, a better understanding of, of what God thinks, what God feels. Now, this morning, let's see, how much time do I got here? Uh, Kevin, you going to help me, brother? Um, where are you? Okay, so it's at 11.33. Uh, I want to get you out of here because it's such good behavior this morning. I just appreciate it. We'll get you out of here on time, if not early, okay? So uh, what time do we normally get out? Is it 12.30? 12.30? Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay, let's start with a question. Let's start with a question. And the question I want to ask is, well, how does God feel about Israel? And more particularly, in the middle of Israel is Jerusalem. How does God, what does he think about this area that's different than any other place in the world? Does God have special feelings, certain feelings 
about Israel and, and, and specifically Jerusalem. Now, now, we all know that some amazing things have happened in our lifetime. We've talked about this. I mean, can a, can a nation be born in one day? The prophet asked. And certainly, Israel was born in one day as a nation. It became a nation in one day. The prophecy spoke it. It's happened in our lifetime. Jerusalem. Uh, forgive what you think about a guy politically, but our previous president, he deemed Jerusalem as the capital now of Israel. If you don't think we live in prophetic days, you don't understand the scripture. And so the question I have for us that I want to start with this morning, and, and I don't know, I've been praying about this the whole time we've been gone, how long we might spend, maybe two or three weeks. I realize we're rapidly moving towards Christmas and we had Advent, but even the, the Advent season speaks to us about prophetic things. So, you know, I've mentioned a number of times over the last number of months that I've been with you in, in different ways. Um, keep your eyes on Jerusalem. Keep your eyes focused there because because God has a heart for Jerusalem like he does not have for any other city on the planet. He's got a heart. Now I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to take three scriptures out of the same book this morning. I put them together kind of in a collage because they all pretty much say the same thing, but you're going to get the message in Second Chronicles. We're going to start with chapter 6, verse 6, then we're going to chapter 7, verse 13, and then we're going to verse, uh, chapter 33, verse 7. And I put them together, and you'll see, there they are there if you want to kind of thumb them in and you're ready to go back to them. But, but here's the statement that, that I want to read, kind of putting them together. Um, so, so you can see, so we can see how God feels about this part of our world, and specifically about the, let me just say it this way, the holy city, we call it, of Jerusalem. I, God, oh, let's stand, I'm sorry, I kind of threw you a curve and so you didn't even know. In honor of the word of God, I, God, have chosen Jerusalem. I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, the temple, that my name may be there, what's the next word? Forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually in this house and in Jerusalem. He repeats it, which I have chosen and I will put my name forever. How does God feel about Jerusalem? He's not said that about any other place in the entire universe. Something's going on in Jerusalem, has always been going on in Jerusalem, that is of spiritual significance. Now, Lord, um, we need your help here, because we're in a difficult day. And as we talk about your word, it's important, Father, that the speaker say nothing that is not biblical or does not come from you. So, Lord, protect, protect 
the messenger today, hide him behind the cross, that we would see Jesus and that we would get a picture of the heart of God in such a way that you would be blessed and pleased. And Father, we'll give you all praise and honor and glory for you are the only one worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So you have to agree with me. Uh, well, you don't have to, but you probably will agree with me that, that God feels pretty strongly about this city in the midst of Israel called Jerusalem. There's no doubt about it. You put these scriptures together. He's, he's put his mark on Zion, we call it. Tis Mount Zion on the sides of the north. We sing. The holy city, the center of what we call the holy land. I want to give you a context here. I've been there. I've walked the streets on more than one occasion. I've sensed the presence of God in a different way than you'll, you'll send it any place in the world. There's something going on that's unique in Jerusalem that's unlike any other city. No wonder, no wonder. I mean, if, if nothing else, the world's three largest religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they all claim Abraham, by the way, to be their father. But every single one of them claimed this real estate called Jerusalem as theirs. It's ours. That's because God has put his mark there. And when God did that, you knew the battle would start. Someone was going to claim it. You know, without Jerusalem, Israel would not even be in existence. You understand that? Without Jerusalem, Israel would not exist as a nation, as a state. Jerusalem is the heart and soul of Zionism. The idea that the Jews belong there. Jerusalem is, the, is really the center of the universe, in my opinion. When you look at our world... God, for some reason, don't know why, he just chose, because he's God, to settle down on Jerusalem. And he said, this is my city. This is my holy place. I'm going to put my temple there, and that will be where my presence is. And you may have traveled all around the world. I've been a lot of different, I've been pretty much on most continents. I've been a lot of different places. I don't know, I've ever been in a place where there's more of a, presence of something spiritually significant going on than Jerusalem. I remember the first time I was in Jerusalem back in the 80s. I was with a bunch of pastors. Uh, man, don't ever go with a bunch of pastors. That's not... <laughs> but we, we stood in, in a place that was very common or similar to what we call the upper room. And the Holy Spirit came. I could not move. I fell on my knees and I wept. The presence, the Shekinah glory of God fell in that room. 
And I was like a dead man like John. I'm going, God, I'm nothing. But you live in me. Woo! Come on. About ready to get Pentecostal here. Yeah. There's something about Jerusalem. It's because God has put his mark on that city. Now, most of our world doesn't know this. They don't appreciate it. I I might also want to say there's not going to be any lasting peace in our world until there's peace in Jerusalem. And that won't happen until Jesus comes. But Jesus, the King of Peace, will bring peace. But, but, But you understand, if that's true, how important Jerusalem is. This is where God chose. He chose. I don't care if you like it or not. He's God. He gets to do what he wants to do. He chose Jerusalem as his dwelling place. Can I say that again? He chose Jerusalem as his dwelling place. Now, if that doesn't say something to us, nothing will when it comes to where we are today. It's a good place to begin to say, how do I process what's going on in the Middle East today? Um, You know, I don't have this in my notes, and I wasn't even thinking about it, but can I let you in on a little secret? I'm always worried about what I'm going to say because, you know, this goes, who knows where it goes when you're live, right? And at times I want to say, would you turn off the recorder just for a moment? I'm sorry for you that are are not here, but uh, okay, let's just leave it rolling. But back when Donald Trump was president, um, I have a pastor friend that's very well connected in different areas of Jerusalem uh, and uh, Zionism. And we, we... spend time together and talk about what God's doing. And uh, Donald Trump was in the White House. He had a group of uh, evangelicals who gathered with him to pray. And I don't know what all you perceive that going on there with um, what you hear from the mass media. I can tell you it's not everything you hear. But uh, one day my friend said, you know, uh, Thursday I have, a, I, I have a special invitation to meet with a, a, a group of pastors in America to be on the phone uh, with uh, Mike Pence and some of the leaders who pray with Donald Trump and, and, uh, and uh, just pray for me. I said, cool. Well, we had lunch, and I went home, and I got to thinking, man, I'd like to be on a fly on the wall. So I call him, and I say, hey, would you mind? That you could put duct tape on my mouth. I won't say anything, I promise. Uh, you can put me in a closet, shut the door. Do you mind if I come? He said, yeah, yeah, bring a, bring a bag of lunch. Come on. So we go, and I sit down, and we have lunch, and... And he says, in a few moments, we'll get a phone call, and we'll have to register in a number. And, and, uh, and that's what happened. Um, some of the phone calls, and some, a lady comes on the phone and says, you've been uh, invited as a guest. Uh, with, uh, and, and, but today we have a special prize. Donald Trump is going to be on the phone and speak to the pastors. I go, whoa, this is a cool thing. So not, not Mike Pence, but Donald Trump. And, uh, and she said, if you're a part of the media or have not been invited to this personally, um, please hang up now. This is not for you. Uh, Donald Trump wanted to talk to pastors. Now, we all know this guy's got a little bit of testosterone going on. No question about that. He's uh, got a pretty big ego. All kinds of things we can say about Donald Trump. But he wanted to hear from pastors. So now he comes on the phone. Donald Trump does. Ladies and gentlemen, Donald Trump is ready to speak to you. 
He greets us. He says, I need your prayers. He says, I'm humbled to be where I am, and I can't do this without God. Um, he said, I, I have three pastors, three guys that I want to speak to us today. The first um, was a Catholic priest. The second was a Protestant evangelical, who you probably would know. And the third was a Jewish rabbi. And he said, um, he said, I want these guys to tell you what they're doing um, and, and, and how they are, are, are processing some things in the world today. And, um, and, and so we heard from them. The priest said basically what they're doing to help in the world. Uh, the, the next person was Samaritan's Purse, uh, Billy Graham's son, Franklin. Uh, the third was a Jewish rabbi. They were all pretty cool. Then when we were through, uh, Donald Trump said... Uh, I feel like we need to pray together. Now, I've always prayed that Donald Trump would get saved. I think he'd make a great. And maybe he is. I don't know. Who am I? I'm not the judge. I pray all of our leaders would be saved and know God and follow God and trust Jesus. That should be on the heart of every, every person in America who's a Christian. The Catholic priest pretty much read his prayer, is what you might think it would be. It, it was high church, good prayer. Billy Graham, I mean, uh, Billy Graham's son, Franklin, he, he, he prayed a Protestant evangelical prayer. It's a good prayer. And then all of a sudden, this Jewish rabbi prayed. He prayed all the way through the Old Testament. He talked about Esther, and for such a time as this, about David about God's hand being upon Israel. My buddy and I looked at each other and tears started rolling down our cheeks because the presence of God fell upon us in that prayer. I'm telling you, it wasn't the Catholic, it wasn't the Protestant, it was this Jewish rabbi that crushed our hearts with his passion for God to move in Israel. And of course we all know, we're praying that the Jews would find Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, and many of them are, many of them are. But you've got to understand, God's, God's got his hand on a people too, and they're called the Jews, the Hebrews. He said, you will be my people and I will be your God. It's unique. And, and I value that highly. Oh, man, it's 1148. Um, let me move a little quicker here. You know, God, God told Solomon that um, he, he was going to have one tribe. This is in 1 Kings eleven thirty six, That my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. That's why David, you know, in Psalm 48, he cries out, great is the Lord in He's greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, he says. Or elevation, the joy of the whole earth. Tis Mount Zion on the sides of the north. The city of the great king. And he goes on to say, God will establish it forever. He will walk about Zion, Jerusalem. You go there, walk around her. 
Count her towers, he says. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generations following. For this is God, our God forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. No wonder why Jerusalem is at the heart of Israel. Let me wrap up just by saying in Genesis 14, 18, the Bible records these words of Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Salem means peace. Peace. Jerusalem means the city of peace. And we all know that Jerusalem historically has experienced anything but peace. Ever since Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, captured the the Hebrews, destroyed the temple, took the people away. And the people would weep on the riverside and say, oh, sing us the songs of Zion, they would sing. It's been one of the most, the most fought over piece of real estate in all the world. Why is that? Why is Jerusalem so important to the world? Well, we've talked a little bit about out of Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38 and this whole arena about how the world is going to come to an end sooner or later. And the Bible predicts and prophesies how the nations are going to come against Israel. Is that what we're seeing? I've listened to a lot of prophetic men in the last few weeks. Some believe we are marching toward this, this great battle called Armageddon. And I'm not, I'm not promoting that. I'm just saying it is a possibility. When you see that those who were arch enemies before, and I've spoken about this before, are now strange bedfellows. And if you don't think we could be close to something big, I mean, from what I just read, the United States has taken their submarines, um, the mothers of all submarines, nuclear warheads, and placed them around that region. It's a prophetic day. Well, um, there's no peace in Jerusalem. And no wonder why the Bible says, pray for the peace of God's city of Jerusalem. We should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's God's city. So we should pray. God, give us peace in your city where your presence abides. And peace will come, like I said, when Messiah comes someday. It'll be, he will usher in the, the golden age, we say, of peace. He has paid the price on the cross. And at that time, every man shall beat their swords into plowshares, the, the scripture says. The, the lion will lay down with the lamb. And war will be no more. Isaiah chapter 2, I believe, verse 4. That's the prophecy and the promise of God's word. And the lion, when he lays down with the lamb, the, the, the river of life shall flow from the temple mount all the way to the sea. Revelation chapter 22. Let there be no question, when everything's said and done, God will have his way. We're in some bumpy times. Keep your eye on Jerusalem, the city of God. And remember, remember this morning in the light of peace, what the Apostle Paul tells us about Jesus. He is our peace. Jesus 
is our peace. In fact, I don't know if you've ever sung that verse out of Ephesians chapter 2. He is our peace, who has broken down every wall. He is our peace. He is our peace. Now, the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. The Muslims believe it's all wrapped up in Muhammad. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week, believe. But in the meantime, remember this, Jesus is your peace. That song goes on to say, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. He is our peace. He is our peace. You guys know that song? Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Did you know God cares for you? He is our peace. And it's not any peace. It's the peace that passes all understanding. Jesus prayed, my peace be unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. So if you need peace today in the midst of turmoil, I can tell you where to go. Go to Messiah Jesus, Yeshua. And he will bring you peace. Cast your cares on him. Trust him. Regardless of what you're facing today, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our salvation. He's the answer to our needs today. Now, Lord, thank you for your word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. And I've hidden thy word in my heart that I would not sin against thee. Lord, may we go in peace today knowing that you walk with us. And I pray for anyone today who is listening to my voice, either here locally or on live stream somewhere in the world, may the peace of Christ be yours today. Trust him. Know he walks with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He paid the price for you on Calvary's mountain, that today, in the midst of anything and everything, you might have peace. In Jesus' name, shalom. Amen. God bless you, church. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon, as well as other sermons, and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www dot mvcnaz dot org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.